0: Alright, um, this is your first time here. My name is Ricardo Stewart. I'm one of the pastors here. Glad you could be here with, here with us this morning. Um, we are going to continue in our series on Romans, and so if you have a Bible, meet me in Romans chapter 5. We're going to wrap up this chapter this morning. Romans chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. Don't be shy. Raise your hand really high. And then one of the guys will be able to get you a copy of God's Word, and, um, and you can follow along with us. And so again, keep your hand raised really high. Romans chapter 5. Um, As you turn there, a couple things I want to just give a snapshot about what's going on in our community. A couple weeks ago, we had our first annual uh, back to school party for our junior high and high school ministry. If Some of you guys were here with us last year when we started the ministry. We we had like 35 to 80 people who wanted to serve the ministry and like two high school kids. Um, And so we have have more high school kids and um, it was a blast. My wife and I and our kids got a chance to show up and watch them uh, in their room. They have a room on campus. Will Vakurevich who um, runs our high school ministry and his staff and their high school kids went in there and ripped up, I mean, this room was terrible, right? I mean, like, it looked like either someone had been working on their car or someone was murdered in there. It was probably both, um, knowing the Baptist church that was here before. And so uh, there, there was, um, we had to rip up the carpet. They ripped up the carpet. They did the work. Guys, that was just a joke. Uh, come on, I'm Baptist too, sort of. And so there, there, there is, uh, they cleaned it up put chalk paint there. It's an amazing room, and um, it's really cool what God's been able to do through in that ministry. And so when you think about it, pray for our staff and leaders and Will and our high school and junior high kids there, uh, what they're able to do and what God would do through them. Uh, The second thing is a couple weeks ago, we had our first Redemption Women, and many of you were able to be here on um, that Wednesday in the morning or in the evening, and lots of women were there. And it was good to kind of get that ball rolling. That's been something we've been wanting to get going for a while and continue the leadership and um, training of the women of our church, and so we're excited about that. Um, if you um, have been here for maybe two or three years or two or three weeks, and you're going, I hear about this stuff that goes on in this church, but I show up on a Sunday, and that's it, and I want to know what is my next step. Like, I don't know how to get involved with this congregation, and one, you wouldn't be the only person that's ever said that to us. We get that question a lot, and usually we're like, oh, we, don't, we don't know. Um, so what we have is a class for you, um, and it's more than just a class. It's going to be the Connect class. It's going to be next Sunday after the 1045 service. Every single elder and pastor and leader will be there, um, and we're going to, its not just informative. It is saying, what is my next step? What is this church? What do we believe? Um, Let me get just kind of an overview of the life of this body and how I can get connected. If you're saying, I want to know how do I get involved in this church, be at that class. It's not a newcomer's class, although you could be new, but some of us have been here for a while and saying, I need to kind of join in on that. And so that's next Sunday after the 1045 service. You can sign up online at redemptionaz.com, or you could just take that info card in front of you and fill out your name, email address and then drop it off at the connect us or drop it in the offering box and uh, that'd be it. So anyways, that's just kind of a snapshot on uh, what's going on here at the church. We're going to look at Romans today. Um, Some of you guys uh, know already that um, last night was a rough time for many of us because the Sunday was absolutely, uh, well... This is a bad day for us, um, for those of you guys who are Sun Devil fans, but go Cardinals today is what we're looking forward to. So um, I had to, I was there in Palo Alto, uh, the Sun Devils were playing Stanford, or Stanford was kind of playing themselves, and we were there, but um, we we were, uh, (laughs) uh, and so got back at like two o'clock this morning, and so like I'm straight off on caffeine and stuff. So really tired, but then a lot of caffeine. So this can kind of go one of two ways. Either I'm going to talk way faster than I normally talk, which those of you guys who are normally here, you're like, oh no. Um, Or really slow. So probably not the latter. So we're going to look at Romans here. So uh, perk up your ears. And so this is a really, really um, difficult passage. And not because it's difficult in what it says. It's the way that Paul writes this. In fact, James Boyce, uh, who's no longer alive, but in his commentary says it's probably the hardest section of scripture in Romans to teach. It's chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. And what I believe in this text is there's a lot of landmines, things that you can get lost into and completely miss what Paul is talking about in this text, and so what I've done is I wrote down every single question that came to my mind as I was studying this that could be tangents, and I'm going to write it in the blog and send you articles um, on those different questions and so that we can keep with the main thing that Paul is talking about here. Because I believe what Paul is doing is Paul is wrapping up chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, and all of chapter 5, because starting next week, we enter into a new section in which Paul begins to talk about this union that we have with Christ Jesus, And so what Paul does this morning for us in this section is he pulls back to show the cosmic plan of redemption and what we lost in Adam and how much more we've gained in Christ. And so Paul puts forward these two figures, Adam, who we'll talk about, and Christ. And normally when this text is taught, um, we will focus in on sin or original sin and brokenness uh, because it mentions that, but Paul is only mentioning that as a backdrop to show how good Christ is. It'd be like going to to a store to buy some diamonds and then having kind of like the the black cloth underneath and them telling you, look at this black cloth now. It's made with this type of material. Forget about the diamonds. Look at the black cloth. Like, no, we don't. They're there to show forth how beautiful the diamonds are. And Paul is saying, I'm going to show you the reality of Adam, but only to show you how much more beautiful and glorious it is in Christ Jesus. And so to boil it all down, what Paul is saying here is that Jesus is better And life with Jesus is better. That Jesus offers new life, it's better. And he continues to go back and forth between Adam and Jesus, say how much more better is Jesus? And so if you're with me, Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Uh, the last two months in my household, uh, with me and my, my children, we have, like, a campaign going on. And this campaign that we have is uh, uh, it's called Pump Up Hawaii. No joke. Um, my in-laws have gifted us with them and our, my wife's other, uh, her brother and sister, to go to Hawaii. And so over the summer, they're like, hey, we're going to pay for you guys to go to Hawaii. And you guys, if you guys really want to go, I'm like, ah, if we have to, okay you know, whatever. Who wants to be in Hawaii, right? And so I've been really excited for looking forward to this uh, next month. And my son, my oldest son, is for whatever reason, like Hawaii wasn't something that he just wrapped his head around. Get it, he's four. Um, his like favorite place that he looks forward to is Flagstaff, right? And it, not that there's anything wrong with Flagstaff. Flagstaff's an amazing place, but that's all he wants to talk about. He's like, Dad, I want to go to Flagstaff. I'm like, why are you bringing up Flagstaff when we're talking about Hawaii? And so that's how we started this campaign. It's called Pump Up Hawaii so every once in a while, I'll get the laptop out and show him pictures of Hawaii and I'd show him brochures and stuff. and like, this is what Hawaii looks like. And he's just like, dude, what about Flagstaff? <laughs> We, we, we have this pine cone that we had for a while, and, um, and I would have it when Vince, some of you guys remember Vince. Vince was here, and he started the church up there in Flagstaff, our redemption congregation. Like, when we see this pine cone, we, we'll, we'll talk about Vince, and then he brought his people down from Flagstaff over the summer, and they did some work in painting some, some buildings here, and Noah came, and like, he's like, and like, it just, just, he's going to leave this church and go to the Redemption Flagstaff. He doesn't care about anything but Flagstaff, and I'm like, buddy, like, it's amazing but Hawaii, right? Hawaii. And so this whole time, we're just showing pictures of, of, of this. And it's like, this is so much better. Like Hawaii is so much better. And, and so when we go, we're gonna, we're gonna go on a plane. And I'm trying to tell them we're gonna go on a plane and it's gonna be me and you and um, your mom and Eli are gonna go on a different plane because it was cheaper for my in-laws. And my wife's like, which one of the kids do you want to go? Oh, the oldest. <laughs> I'll travel with the oldest. And, I, and I'm telling them we're gonna get there because you know when you're on a plane, and you, you finally get somewhere, especially somewhere like Hawaii, where you've just been flying over the waters. And you look over and you're like, there it is. And I want to show them, like, this is way better than Flagstaff. This is so much better. And we can get in on that. Um, what Paul is doing here in, in, a, in a more cosmic way of humanity is so far, Paul has been talking about sin, even individual sins. Chapter one is like this um, us rejecting God and our pride and our arrogance and our self-righteousness. And then we get to chapter two and it's more self-righteousness. and chapter three, he begins to talk about this justification by faith, how we're made right with God. And then chapter four, he shows Abraham and um, a picture of faith and he shows David. And then chapter five, he now begins to kind of round the, t- the corner and point towards these affections that we have in Jesus. If you can recall, in the beginning of chapter 1, it's that we have peace with God, meaning the relationship has been made right. And very, in the very end of that, that, that um, section that Jim taught a couple of weeks ago, in verse 5 of chapter 5, it says, The love of God has been poured into our hearts. And then last week we talked about how deep this love is and how, wide this, how deep this love is and how wide this love is and how affectionate this love is for us. And, and, and now Paul steps back and says, okay, again, this is not a Jew thing. This is not a Gentile thing. This is a cosmic thing. And he tells the story of redemption and what God is doing by saying what Adam did was real, and it's affected us all, and it's brought brokenness and chaos and destruction, and we can't fix it. But what Christ has done is so much better. He's painting this picture of saying, look at this. And don't just look at it. It's an invitation to get in on it to live in that life of love and of comfort and of new desires. And so that's the picture that we have. He's saying life with Jesus is so much better. And the next few weeks, we're going to be talking more specifically of why it's better to have union with Christ and the delight to have Christ formed in his people and to walk with him and to know Jesus and looking forward to the next few weeks in Romans. And so here we are now um, looking at Adam. And so for the sake of structure, I'm going to walk through uh, verses 12 through 17 and then we'll look at the implications of this. And so you're gonna to have to follow with me because it's a lot of tricky teaching going back and forth and then we'll get to the implications that, it, that um, the, this passage has for us as we live and close up this first section of Romans. Verse 12, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin and so death spread to all men because all sinned. If you have uh, a ESV Bible, there's a dash there meaning Paul stops. Meaning what he, what he says in verse 12, there's a lot in there, but he stops. Verses 13 through 17 is what we call parentheses. Like he's saying, uh, let me explain this for a little bit before I explain more and go further what do I'm saying. Um, so he starts off and says, sin into the world through one man, that man being Adam. And he says, now death through sin. And sin spread to all men because all sin. He's saying, this is how this story got going. And I don't want to presume that you're familiar with, um, with the story of the Bible, the story of the world, is that in the beginning, God created. And what Paul is alluding to is what happened after God created. So God creates out of the overflow of his goodness and his joy and his love. He creates because he desires for humanity to share into that relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit of love. And he creates this world. And at the apex of his creation, he creates Adam and he creates Eve. And they, they have this right relationship with God, and they walk with him in the cool of the day, and they have a right relationship with each other, and they're enjoying all the fruits, and they're naming animals, and they're walking around, and they're, they're hanging, out like Adam's with his wife, and Eve's with their husband. They're walking around naked, and, and, and you know, it's like they have no kids. It's like life was perfect, right? Like, it's like, it was just like this, this picture of paradise, And then the way the story goes is the serpent is there, and the serpent begins to deceive the woman and says, hey, you know, should you trust God? Does God really have good intentions for you? You know, that was like how this whole thing began to unravel. It's questioning God's intentions for us. Like, did God really say that? And then the woman eats the fruit, and then her husband's next to her, then he eats the fruit, and then death enters in the world through one man's sin. Now, If you're anything like me, you're going, whoa, 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 one man sinned? The woman sinned first. Why is it always talking about Adam? Like, isn't it always about the woman? Right? Like, it's like, why isn't it Eve? It's well, what we learn there and what we learn throughout Scripture. And even in, in Hebrew theology is Adam was a covenantal head or a federal head, meaning he represented not only his wife just because he was um, just because that was his wife and he was supposed to lead her, but he was, by God, chosen to be the representative of all humanity. And so think about that. If Adam says, no, I'm not going to do that, then we all live in the presence of God. But Adam goes, no, I'm going to choose myself, and I'm going to choose to to, to not trust God, and I'm going to do my own thing. And in doing that, we all sin, we all fell. It's called the fall. And death came in through that one man's sin. And Paul uses the language of kingdom language. He says it rained. Meaning sin didn't just affect us morally because we make bad decisions. It affected everything. It affected our thoughts, our intellect, our desires, our will, our free will. It affected it all. It didn't just affect humanity. It affected all creation. In fact, in a couple chapters, Paul is going to say that creation in itself is yearning, meaning longing for a savior that even creation is saying, like, when is God going to come and redeem what was lost in the fall? And, and, and we, we have a problem with that, though. As people who live in America, who value our freedom of choice, we go, wait, Adam represented us? We didn't have a choice in that. Like, when we want to think about a representative, we want to choose somebody who we thought would be best. We wouldn't have chosen Adam. Like, why, why is it I have a sin nature because of some dude years ago who ate the fruit? I mean, the, what? That, that bothers me. And here's what we have to deal with. Um, not only did, um, did God just choose Adam, he didn't just merely choose him. He created him. And Adam was in a perfect setting. Adam was created. Um, he wasn't born in sin like you and I. He wasn't born in chaos. He was born in the perfect climate, in the perfect uh, temperature, the perfect um, context in order for him to do everything that God called him to do. And yet he failed. It'd be quite arrogant for us to say that we would have chose better than God. And the other thing would be quite arrogant for us to think that we would have done better. Like I could have done, Oh, I would have been like, no, no, Lord, only for you. No fruit for me, right? Eve, you do your thing. I'm with God. No, that wouldn't have happened. And it's saying that what we sin now, um, there's a sense that we're victims of of Adam's sin. But not only that, it says all have sinned, meaning not only are we victims, we're also victimizers. We hurt people, and people hurt us. And, And so what Paul is saying here is we sin, so when we lie, we don't become sinners once we lie. We're sinners, therefore we lie. And so we don't become sinners when we still, you know, we don't we don't we didn't we didn't become a sinner. We were we were sinners by nature and by choice. That's the position that we're in. Adam brought death. And then Paul is saying, and death reign. There was no one who was able to escape it. There wasn't one person who came into this world and thought, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna rid myself of my sin and I'm gonna fix all of this. There have been plenty of people who said that they were that person. There have been plenty of us who try, and we still try, and we understand the brokenness of, of Adam. We understand it experientially, right? Even, even in our own families, how, how stuff gets passed through the DNA. Like, even, you guys ever had that conversation with yourself, whatever age it may be, like, I'm never going to be like my parents. Never, ever. And then you get older, and you're going, never, and then you have kids, and you're like, oh, dang. <laughs> it's like, you start saying things that they say, and like, it's like, how did this happen? It's like, it's in you, bro. You can't shake it, and when you read through the Bible, you see this effect, right? Like if, if you ever read through the Bible, like, you get out to Genesis chapter 3, like, things don't get good again until Genesis to Revelation 21. Like, after that, it's like, it's all bad, right? It's like, like one long, bad episode of Jerry Springer, right? It's like, who's the father? <laughs> it's like, it's like even, even the heroes of the faith. We've talked about Abraham. Abraham just did some silly stuff. You know, he takes his wife and goes, no, she's not my wife. She's my sister, and that's weird. And then, and then, um, and then lets another man. Ah, it's just weird. And then, and then you have David. David's a man after God's own heart, and then he does some silly stuff too, like he's supposed to be off at war, and then next thing you know, he takes this other man who's fighting for him and takes her and then gets her pregnant. And, and then has him killed? first he has him come and try to get drunk so he can cover it up, and then that didn't work. And so it just looks messy. And we have our own issues, and we have our own stories. And when you see what happened in the fall, those things are happening in us. Right? When Adam and Eve sinned against God, first there was, sep- was a broken relationship. There was separation between them and God. They hid from God. They didn't trust him anymore. They didn't think that God had good intentions for them. And many of us, we don't we hide from God. We don't trust him. We don't trust his word. Even those of us who are Christians now, we still find ourselves living in Adam. He's the company we find ourselves keeping. And then, not only were they separated from God, but they were also separated from each other. And so, you know, Adam and Eve—they hid from each other. They were once exposed before one another, and then now they have these fig leaves, and they put fig leaves over us. And now we have metaphorical fig leaves all over the place. We hide. We hide from ourselves. We hide from others. We 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 hide in success, we hide in the things we can build, we hide behind our kids, look how good they are. That's why when our kids eventually walk away from God or do something that we don't we we didn't raise them that way, we lose a self. We hide behind our degrees, we hide behind really good things because we don't really know ourselves, because we don't really know our God. And not only between God and others, but now you have humanity and creation. And so God tells the man, listen, it's going to be really painful when you work. That work is going to be work. Work was, work was supposed to be delighted in. Like work in itself is not um, an effect of the fall. The toils that we have in work, and the, it fights back against us. And, and when women now have babies, um, it tells to Eve, like there's a curse there. There's going to be pushback against this creative order that it's going to be a really painful. That's why many women say, yeah, give me medicine now. You know, it's really painful. That's Eve's fault, and I experienced this. And we have this, too, where we see death and all the things that Jim just prayed for when he was up here. We see this all happened in verse 12. Sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. And so death spread to all men, right, because we all sinned. So that's a picture. But Paul doesn't want us just to camp there. He doesn't want us to just stay there and go, well, how do we get back to where Adam's at? He goes, you can't get back to where Adam. In fact, many of your issues is that you're trying to get back to where Adam is. That there's something fundamentally wrong with with, with people and humanity because of Adam. And somehow we think that even though we can't make ourselves right, that we're going to fix the problem. That somehow with more technology and more information, somehow we'll get this thing better. And as history has progressed, we see even now we have more slaves in our world than we've ever had. Like it's not getting better because of the progress of man. We need a savior. We need someone, the one who created, to come and redeem. And Paul is saying that's exactly what has happened in Christ. And so as we walk through this, just follow with me as we walk through these verses. 13 says, for... For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin was not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Here's what Paul is saying. He's going, this Jewish audience is going, yeah, we get the fall. We get the separation of God and of ourselves and creation, but didn't God give Moses the law? And the law was God's means of redeeming people. Didn't God give his holy law to Moses and that's how we were going to be redeemed? And that was the Jewish thought that somehow that if they can live up to the law, then they would be made right. And that's how God was going to redeem the world. And Moses goes, no, the law was actually there to show you the specific sins. And he goes, where there was no law, sin wasn't counted. It doesn't mean that people weren't sinners. He's just saying the effects of sin even before the law from Adam to Moses was still there. Death reigned. And we saw it. We read through Genesis. We read all the way through the Old Testament. We see death reigned. Paul is just saying that it, it rained, And then he begins to hold up Christ as the true and better Adam. He begins to hold up Christ and say, what it brought, as bad as it is for you and I, our insecurities, our guilt, our shame, the condemnation, as bad as that is, Christ gives us far more. Paul is painting that picture similar to what I'm trying to do with my son and going, yeah, 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 but Hawaii is way better Let me paint this picture and say this is way better. And he does it by comparing. Verse 15, he goes on, but the free gift, speaking of God, speaking of Christ, the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more will have the grace of God and the free gift. By the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ abounded for many. Sorry, that didn't make sense to me. I'm going to read that again. coffee but the free gift is not like the trespass for if many died through the one man's trespass much more have the grace of god and the free gift by the grace of that one man jesus christ abounded for many okay so here's what paul is saying um the one man's trespass that mean adam what he did jacked it all up kind of ruined it for humanity well now the second adam comes and he does something far better Paul is, Paul is not saying this. Paul is not saying what Jesus comes is, he comes and he brings us back to the position of Adam, which is where most of us want to be. Because we hear those words, I want to walk in the cooler cool day with God. It's going to be great. I want, I want to name porcupines and whatever, right? We, we want to get back to Adam. He goes, no, 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 no. It's better. What God is doing in the new creation by making you a new man is actually a better position than where Adam is. He's saying it's much more. Like this grace. And grace is God's undeserved gift of himself. Hear me. It is his undeserved gift of himself. We said this last week. What we do is we say grace is God's undeserved gift of me being forgiven of my sins. And it ends there. And there's no picture and there's no affections and there's no desire for who we am. We're just kind of like off the hook. He goes, no, it's you get forgiveness of sin because you get Jesus, Right? Here's here's what Kyle Strobel says in um, uh, A Definition of Grace, which I love. He says, grace in itself is God opening up his life in the work of Christ Jesus and pulling us up into that life by the work of the Holy Spirit. It's God opening up his life in the work of Christ and pulling us up into that life by the Holy Spirit. And he dumps it into our heart by his love. And so so the first thing that I want to show you here is what Paul is saying is we're not going back to where Adam was. Um, because we, we, Adam's here, he jacked it up, um, and then we want to be back to where Adam is at before the fall. And what Paul is saying is, no, that would be like a form of probation. We have something better than that. We have something better than Adam. Because Adam represented us and he didn't represent us well. Where Jesus comes and he's our representative and so we have what He has. Um, so probation, um, we've talked about this before. Some of you know what that. No, none of you guys probably know. What you guys, are. oh saints! Um, probation in itself is you're free, but if you do it there's a there's a big if. Like if you do something, you're back in that prison. Adam was given this condition in the right context, and saying, "Listen, you can enjoy all of this, but if you eat of this tree, it's that's all bad, and there's nothing you can do to fix it." Some of us think that the way grace works is that God puts in that position, go, all right, I'll I'll take care of some stuff. You didn't figure it out. Maybe you didn't know. Maybe you weren't raised in the right family. And then God kind of just sends Christ to make you uh, better. He sends Christ to put you in a position where now it's up to you, and then we still live with fear. Like we still live with fear of God, not in reverence, but a fear like, man, you're afraid of living. There are so many Christians that our life is about managing sin because we want to make sure our sin level is really low. We want to diversify it. We want to make sure that the grace and the righteousness is a little bit higher over here. And and we don't want to do the big sins, and so we'll guard ourselves from that, and so we'll kind of give ourselves a pass on kind of secret sins. Paul's saying, no, it's not probation. There's no if factors. There's nothing you can do that can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. There's no tree that you can eat from. There's no sin that you can commit. There's not, a, there's, not a, there's not a limited amount of times that you can commit that particular sin because some of us were going, gosh, if I keep doing this, I'm losing it, right? No, 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 no. You can't lose it because he's wrapped you up in the life of Christ. Paul is saying much more is his grace. What was undone in, in, in Adam has not just been um, made better but made best in Christ Jesus. He's now the one who represents you. Amen? Paul's saying, that's good news. That's good news. And he continues here in this parentheses in 16 and 17. And he says, and the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following, one man, the following many trespasses brought justification. He's just showing how much more. He goes, Adam's one act, like one act ruined it all made us sinners, and we sin and sin and sin. And he's saying now the act of Christ forgives the many transgressions. That means there's not a, there's not a number that, that God is saying, when you get to this number, like, that's enough, and you're getting really close. Be careful, right? Better die, right? It's like, no, he says, no, this is what Christ has done. And then he says this in verse 17, for if because of one man's trespass, death reign through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Paul, Paul is saying is um, rain, the rain happened in Adam. And so in a sense that sin and death kind of had a position of glory in, in our lives and it took over our lives, that we were put in a position that we can't, we can't do anything but sin, like we can't but, but be sinners that we, we can't get it off of us, we can't shake it. there's nothing we can do. it's in us, It's, like, it's in our blood. It's just this disease that spread to every single person, that it's in all of humanity, because but in Christ, it's completely different. And it's not God giving you another chance. Oftentimes, we think that the gospel means we get another chance. And, and hear me, we've said that before. I, I'm sure I've said that. And I'm racking my mind. I'm like, I probably said that before maybe being a high school pastor sometime. I probably told the kids at Gilbert when I was there, they're hosed, um, that, that it's the, God gives you another chance and another chance. And it's like, no, that's not good news, guys. God, God giving us another chance is not good news because you know who it's up to still? Us. And you know who jacked it up? Us. You know who needs to be fixed? Us. We, we don't just need another chance, right? Well, uh, growing up, there was this, this game called Contra, and some of you guys know what this is. It's like up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, right? There's like this code that you would put into this game, and you get infinity lives. Like you get chance at the chance. And I was so excited, and you go, why are you bringing up Nintendos? Because I want to remember the guy who made it. He died in, in honor of him we're going to talk about 1992. And so there's this game, right? When you get these infinity, infinity lives, I was terrible. You could have given me infinity lives and I, ne- I never was going to win this game. I could not, I could not beat it. I was terrible at it. That's kind of how we are when it comes to beating sin. Like we've made promises with God before, like, oh Lord, you got me by this time. Thank you so much. This is the season or you've had walks with God, there's a particular thing that you're struggling with, and, and maybe there's been weeks where you're like, there's freedom, there's freedom, bam, dang. There's freedom, there's freedom, then you do it again. You ever, you ever have that, and it's like, ah, I thought I was done with that. I thought I was done with my anger. I thought I would never lash out again, and then you lash out again. I think the worst is when you talk with your kids, and you're like, daddy's never going to do that again. Daddy's never going to be upset with you. And the other kids are, shut up. Oh, Daddy's never gonna do that again, right? And it's just like, gosh, I need help. Paul is saying, you don't need another chance, you need a new life. God doesn't give you a new chance, He gives you a new life, He gives you His life. That's why Paul is saying that He's poured out the Holy Spirit in your life. He's saying what Adam did was bad, but what Christ did was way better. And so the picture here is where Adam fell, Christ succeeded. That Adam was given the perfect context, and in that perfect context, he brought you down. And so Jesus now comes in the mess in which Adam and we created to lift us up. That he didn't come in a perfect context. He comes in a broken world, and he takes all who would believe in him in repentance and faith. There, there's two gardens here, two gardens. There's the garden that Adam and Eve are in, in which they have an opportunity to obey God in doing so to lift us up. But Adam doesn't do that. He disobeys God, and he drags us all down with him. And then fast forward. We read in the Gospels that Jesus is in the garden, and it's the Garden of Gethsemane. And it's Jesus' moment. It's usually called The Passion of Christ, He's with his friends there and his closest friends. And he says, would you just sit here and pray for a while? Because I gotta, I gotta. he knows what's coming. He knows the cross is before him. And he has them sit and pray and they fall asleep. And he's talking to his, his dad. He's talking to God. And he says, Lord, if there's another way, like if, 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 like if there was another way this could happen, could you make it happen? But then he says, nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. Jesus knows there's no other way. In that moment, Jesus would have been completely fine to just go. You know what? I'm not going to do this. He wouldn't have ceased to be God. We would have just ceased to have been saved. We would have been ceased to be redeemed. That this world would be in the position that it's in. We all would stand and stand under condemnation. But Jesus says, nevertheless, not as I will. And he says, this cup of wrath that I wanted you to remove, nevertheless, not as I will, but what you will. And so Jesus in there goes from the garden, praying to the Father, saying, I will take this cup of wrath. I will, I will drink it all for all, all the sins of all the people who would identify no longer with Adam, but who would be in Christ. And so now through his obedience, all of us are lifted up in him. And so now he becomes our new representative. And Paul is saying, much more now does grace abound. Meaning we are no longer identified with Adam. Make a clean break with Adam's sin and death and then walk in faith and truth and the beauty, love, righteous, righteousness that's in Christ Jesus. He is now our representative. And Paul says, much more is that. The whole plan of redemption is God himself saying, I'm redeeming a people that were lost in the life and through the life of Jesus Christ alone. Amen? There's four implications for this, for us. That when we understand this gospel truth that now we are, we are in Christ, that he is our representative, four things that would allow us to grow in our understanding of who God is and who we are, no longer in Adam. The first thing is comfort. It's comfort. Read with me in verse 18. He says, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. When we say comfort, we're all looking for comfort. We're, we look for it in different ways. Um, some of us are looking for, for comfort in relationships that we have no business being in. Um, some of us, many of us, many people are looking to comfort in sexual sins, whether it be in, in your relationships with people, your relationships with your computer, what, what, whatever it may be. And it's, it's just robbing from you. Guys, that's an Adam, and that's death. And you experience death. Not, not literally just people dying, though that's part of death, but what it does to your walk with the Lord. You even know sin just stifles your understanding of God? It stifles that relationship, and it promises this comfort. Whatever it may be for you, whatever you go to. Um, some of you, it, it, it needs to be comfort because you walked in with just loads of guilt, one of the hardest things for me to do is when I sit down with somebody and i 'm trying to look them in their eyes, but because of whatever sin that they 're wrapped into, they can 't even look you in the eyes because they just, just there 's this whole guilt and the shame that is on them. They're like their father, Adam, who hid from God and who tries to hide from people and give you half stories about your life and not living in the comfort in which God provides. And some of us are here, we just, we just have a lot of guilt. I, I remember before I was a Christian, I would have the, my conscience would just, just, just kind of just wage war with me and, and I would have to do something to distract it. You guys ever had that? I, and I found that I can never be alone. Like I'd get in the car and I'd be alone and I would think about it and I'd turn the radio on, right? And it's like, oh, turn the radio on with some Nelly or something, right? Underlay, oh, undelay, undelay, right? <laughs> and so like, right, I'm out of it, right? And it was like, there's, there's, there's just this, this, this guilt. Um, what Christ has for us is true comfort. And the comfort that we have, he says here, is that though there was trespass and that guilt was there and it was real guilt, it's removed in him. That justification, we said, is this legal term of, like, legally, you're free. Like, no one can come after you. No one's going to come and repossess your life. Satan cannot have you. Sin cannot have you. You're with Christ you're with his, and you will always be with him, that he becomes your comfort. You don't have to look to other things. You can find who you are in him, in his life, wrapped in his life, and that spirit is still consistently pouring out his love, that you may walk into that love and understand that comfort in which he gives us, that there's true freedom, that you don't have to walk around and not be able to look at people because of your sin, and you say, what about if I keep sinning? Christ always forgives you're always his you're wrapped up into the life of christ that brings us comfort and some of us need to be reminded that because we're looking elsewhere and says the life of christ The, the second implication that this gives us in understanding god's cosmic plan of redemption in christ it gives us fresh desires and new desires um, desires, like, it, it, going back to my son, right, he's still thinking Flagstaff, and I'm trying to show him how much better Hawaii is, right, and this is the ongoing conversation, and I want to, I'm, I'm looking forward to that, that moment, you guys ever been in a plane, and you're, you're landing somewhere, and every once in a while, if you're flying over a particular mountain or something, like, the pilot will say, if you look over here, there's that mountain, and you can see this, or you can see that, well, when you're going to Hawaii, I want to be able to see, like, the Hawaii, right, and be able to show him, like, hey, buddy, look at this window, check this out, look at, look at that, like you see that? That's sand and that's water and here's the things that we're gonna enjoy in Hawaii but not just to stay in the air. Um, Paul is just not painting a picture of saying in some abstract way like here's who God is but hey, we're gonna land and we're gonna walk and I'm gonna walk with you. I'm gonna walk with you in the water and I'm gonna walk with you in the sand and we're gonna build sand castles together. This is very relational but I want, to, I want your desires to be for something that we're gonna, we're gonna experience together. That when when we understand the gospel, that it gives us desires of his kingdom. That we were once under a kingdom of reign of sin and death, but now we're under a kingdom of life and of grace. And that God is just not painting a picture so that we can look at it in some um, um, memory card or something, but that we can actually get into that life and walk with him and that our desires are for that life for us now because that's the same desires that he has for his kids. And when we look at Christ and what he's done and how he's wrapped us into the family of God, now our affections and our desires are set on him and not on these worldly things around us. Because oftentimes, because of sin, our desires are bent and they're bent on success They're bent on things we can make. They're bent on things that we can buy. We look at the television screen, and it tells us, buy this because you're incomplete. And so we try to stuff ourselves with more stuff. We consume and consume. And say, no, my desires are for him because his kingdom is coming. His kingdom has come, and there's a king, and his name is Jesus. And so my desires and affections will be set on his kingdom in my life. And so God gives us this picture of comfort in Christ and desires in Christ and his reign in life. And a third implication, one of my favorites, is love. Paul has turned the corner. So often Romans is just reduced to a book of doctrine instead of a book about a God who loves. And that doctrine in itself is something that guides us to see the specific love that we may receive it. Um, Paul, Paul says this here, if you continue with me, um, in verse 19, it's 4. As by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. But by the one man's obedience, excuse me, yeah by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. So by one disobedience, sinners, and then by obedience, will be made righteous. Righteousness has language of love wrapped into it. Because righteousness is not that you were made now so that you can go live a righteous life, but it's a means of grace. God God himself, it's grace itself. God gives you that righteousness that he clothes you with that righteousness and that you have the love of the Father, you have the love of the Spirit, you have the love of the Son wrapped around you, within you, and that the Spirit cries out, Abba, Father, And that there's an implication of this that when you see Jesus, it should always stir up affection of love. It always should stir up affection of who you are as a new creature in Christ Jesus. That in Adam we died because of his disobedience, but in Christ we live and we reign in life with Christ. That he's lifted us up and that always with righteousness is that of love. The picture that we have here is the picture of... um, the picture of the prodigal son, if you guys remember that story, if you read that story, and I think that Tim Keller did such a good job at naming it the prodigal God. And the way that that story goes is that we usually focus on the younger brother and that, and the younger brother goes to the dad and essentially says, I don't, I don't want you, but I want your money, and I want stuff from you. And he goes into the city and has a father's money, and he wastes his money and, and then finds himself hanging out with a bunch of pigs, and, and he's like, you know what, my dad, I can go back to my dad's house. And at my dad's house, I mean, his servants eat better than what I'm eating with these pigs. I mean, the pig's food's usually not the best. And he's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back to be with my father. And it says as he's walking back, his father sees him, and, and the father begins running closer to him. He, he's preparing a story of what he's going to say, how he's going to get things right with his dad, and how he's going to apologize. And the, and the father is not even worried about that. He just runs towards him. And, and if you know the context of that language, men didn't run. It was like it was, it was looked down upon. But this dad didn't care because he loved his son, and he, and he found his son, and he's running after him, and he puts a robe over him to cover him. And then he takes his ring, which means you are a part of this family. And then he goes and he says, he goes to his servants and he goes, hey, get a cow. Like, like get the fattest cow. Get it, man. And, you know, slaughter that mug. Grill it up. Like, we're going to barbecue. <laughs> and he's like, my son's home. And we're going to throw a party. And we love that. If that were a movie, the movie would end and then the credits would roll up. and We're like, oh, man, what a good movie. The son came back. The fire, it would be great. But here's the experience of us. We know that if there was a sequel to that in our own life, it, it would be like this. The son runs away again and he takes the things from his father and he goes out into the city and he does the same thing again. And then he comes back and the father runs to him and he clothes him and he puts a ring on his finger and says, "You're my love, I love you." And he throws a party. And then the son runs away again and he comes back. And the father does the same thing again and again and again. Um when you understand the gospel, you realize that is a life as a Christian. I never get into God's family and all of a sudden everything's perfect on my part. But I'm called and I'm welcome into God's family and his love is perfect on his part for me. He always pursues me. He always loves me. And he's loved me in his son, Christ Jesus. I'm found in Jesus. And there's nothing more beautiful than that. If I were found in myself, I'm lost. But I'm found in Christ, then I'm, I'm found. And now I have a Jesus as my elder brother, who's my advocate. I have my father. I have the spirit. No matter how fast or how far I run, I'm never going to lose God's love because God's love is never going to lose me. And that's a beautiful implication when we live out the gospel. That we have this comfort from God. We have these desires for his kingdom. We have the love of the Father placed on us, poured into our hearts, that we cannot out-sin him. And then lastly, faith. The implication of faith. This last verse with me. I'll Read the last um, two verses with me. It says this, Now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace might also reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He goes back now to wrap it up to the Jewish people that were thinking that the law was meant to redeem. He goes, the law was never meant to redeem. Some of our, our, our issues as Christians is that we're looking to the law, we're looking to instruction to redeem us. We're looking to certain things, certain practices, certain accountability groups, certain things to redeem us. We're looking to the church. The church doesn't redeem. God redeems people in the church. And he's saying that the law was only meant to show what was wrong. Meaning we know something's wrong. Have you guys ever gone to the doctor and you kind of have symptoms and you're like, something might be wrong. And then you go to the doctor and they go, oh, that's what it is. Oh, that's worse that's worse than what I thought, right? Several years ago, I had, like, this ankle injury, and it was something simple, like, I jumped over somebody and landed, and, like, my ankle was, like, kind of cracking here and there, and, 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 it was, you know, no big deal, but I, you know, I could barely walk, but, I mean, it, for, for a while there, um, I just thought it was just a sprained ankle. Well, six months go by, and I'm, like, gosh, my ankle, you know, I know something's wrong, and I went to the doctor, and he goes, yeah, your ankle's broke. I was, like, what? <laughs> He's, like, your ankle's broke, and we can't, like, you can't, it's not going to heal on itself, um, You're going to have to have surgery. You're going to take that bone out. And I'm like, what? Are you serious? Um, We're not going to heal on our own. We're not going to just get better over time. We need a physician, and his name is Jesus. And what Paul is saying is what happens now in the new Adam and the new Christ that when we trust in him, he comes and he takes our dead hearts and he gives us alive hearts and he gives us his righteousness and where sin increased, meaning the more and more the physician, the x-ray showed how bad our situation is, past, present, and future, where sin increased, he says grace increased all the more, meaning you're never going to out the grace and love of God. Some of us think that I'm just too much of a sinner. Christ is like, no, you don't understand my ability to save. And he says that this will lead into eternal life. Meaning it's faith. And Adam, we don't have to believe in Adam to understand his effects. We just look around. We receive that naturally. But in Christ, it's through faith. If you're gonna have the comfort in Christ that he provides in, the new, in, in Christ, it's through faith. If you're gonna have these uh, desires and affections towards his kingdom, it's through faith. If you're gonna really live in the Father's love, it's gonna be through faith. And so some of you, some of you have never believed in Jesus. And today might be, like, now might be the right time to just admit, yeah, I'm broken, and I've tried to fix it, and I can't, and I want to trust this Jesus who makes my life not just better, but gives me eternal life, who gives me new life, that I may have his life formed in me. And you don't have to walk down some aisle, you don't have to sign a card, you can just pray and say, Lord, would you do that in me? And then for the bulk of us who are already already Christians, our repentance looks like this. Lord, we are identifying with Adam, and you've already broken the chains from Adam. We're identifying with the slavery of sin when you've already freed us. We're identifying with death and things that lead to death when you've promised life. And Lord, we want to live in your love and your comfort, and we want our desires and our affections to be raised. We know where Adam disobeyed, Christ obeyed, and so we want to walk into what you've already given us, nothing that we have to earn. We confess that we've been trying to earn it through our religious duties, but we want to receive it through your affection and your love that we may rest in the love of God through faith in Christ Jesus, amen? We, 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 are, we are going to, um, the next few weeks, it's gonna get really good. Not that I'm going to get really good. The text in itself, we're going to talk about what does it means to walk and live in this love of God. We're going to talk about what that means for us spiritually, what it means for us practically. Don't miss the next few weeks. We're going to, as Christians, this, this next few weeks that Romans has for us is beautiful teaching of a union with Christ. Everything that Paul sets up here in, in the, the end of chapter 5, that you are no longer in Adam, you're in Christ. And so next week, how do I live in Christ? Let's pray.